Good morning, Celebration Church. How's everybody doing? It is good to have you with us this morning. Of course, uh, it's just me in this room and Seth uh, recording. We are doing a little Back to the Future routine. I am currently talking to you on October the 1st, yet it is October the 4th, Sunday morning, that you are hearing this. Uh, this is being pre-recorded because we are, of course, at Howes Mill Camp for, our, I believe, our fifth annual uh, youth camp, which uh, our uh, children's ministry has been doing for uh, the past couple years, and it's a fantastic experience, so I am sure the kids are coming back with a lot of stories to tell. In fact, we're going to do a presentation soon uh, from the kids and their experience. So um, that's why you're getting me up here all by myself in a large echoing room, but because of the last six months and all the excitement of 2020, we have grown accustomed to things that are out of the ordinary, and that is what we're doing today. So a couple quick announcements. Uh, one, we are having prayer this evening uh, at 6 p.m., so we are uh, opening the doors up uh, here at the church to, uh, to pray. We do that uh, the first Sunday of each month. We're praying for our community. We're praying for the nation. We have an election coming up. I'm sure nobody has even heard about it, uh, but that is happening, and I believe, um, all joking aside, we must pray uh, for our country, for our leaders. One, it's biblical, uh, and two, it is necessary uh, evidence by the world around us. So we, we're going to gather together and pray, um, and uh, we would love to have you join us for uh, prayer at 6 p.m. tonight. Also, uh, First Impressions is having a meeting. Uh, that's the, uh, the ushers and the greeters uh, at Celebration Church, and uh, I know not everybody's able to come, but just as a reminder, that's going to be at 4.30 here as well. So it is an action-packed day, October the 4th, and um, we, uh, we are just happy to have uh, all the people who serve and do what they do at the church. So one more announcement, and then we're going to get into uh, the Bible study uh, for this morning. Um, that, that is our giving. Uh, our giving still goes on. Um, and we really appreciate the faithful giving of everybody. couple important things. One, thank you so much, everybody that helps support the kids uh, that are at House Mill today. Uh, we had 100% support uh, donated by people like you um, uh, throughout the past couple months, and that is wonderful. So thank you so much for that. We have a project coming up, uh, Operation Christmas Child. We would love to have your support for that. That's where we uh, team up with Samaritan's Purse. We fill up the boxes, the shoe boxes, to get the gospel out all over the world uh, into developing countries where uh, a tennis ball, a hairbrush, uh, a toy means the world to a child at Christmas time. And what, we, what is done is uh, gospel tracks and their language are put in there and they're introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his saving power on the cross and his love for them. And it's just a wonderful ministry. If you'd like to give to that, or uh, if you're giving in general, uh, go to our website, celebrationchurchwv.com, uh, or you can use the Tithely app or website to give, and you'll see there uh, different uh, options, and one of them is OCC, Operation Christmas Child. So that's just some of the stuff going on. We appreciate your faithful giving, and uh, that is wonderful. Okay. If you would, uh, turn in your Bible with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. 
There are a lot of famous verses in this psalm. And I just want to, and this is more like a Bible study uh, today than a uh, Sunday morning sermon, but I wanted to go through Psalm 139, and I wanted it to be an encouragement to you. It's just going to spend a, a short period of time looking at the way that God cares for us, the way that he knows us uh, in this psalm. And this is a psalm of David. So I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to come back uh, and go over uh, specific parts. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and your hand, you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall, over, shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are, all, are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, I know it's October 1st for me, and for people watching, it's October 4th. But Lord, this is your word, it's eternal. And as the psalmist says here, as David is saying, there is nowhere we can go away from you. We can't get away in the ocean, we can't get away in heaven, not even in the grave, Lord, can we escape your presence. And Lord, for those of us who know you, Lord, that is a precious and wonderful truth. Lord, anybody that's not, that doesn't know you that's listening, that is perhaps a terrifying thing to think about. And God, I pray that by the end of this short message, God, that you would convict hearts and encourage hearts. God, convict us where we need to be and encourage us because you are with us wherever we are. Lord, we thank you for it. Help us to hear what your spirit is saying in these words and help me to speak what needs to be spoken. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. 
Psalm 139. You notice maybe, well, I noticed as I was reading this that I kept trying to quote it out of uh, some other versions that I was more, that I had memorized a couple of these verses out of. And, and that's what happens when, um, when you've uh, memorized in uh, other versions of the Bible. And the, the reason that some of these verses are memorized is they show up in songs, <clears throat> they show up in uh, poetry, they some of these words uh, from Psalm 139 show up in a lot of different places, so they're familiar. So I kept trying to quote uh, out of the New King James, uh, which is where I really cut my teeth uh, as a younger uh, younger man and pastor. Um, I can say that now because I am an older man uh, and still a pastor. But using the ESV, um, which is a beautiful translation, uh, but the words are just so familiar and they're so encouraging uh, out of this psalm, but there's a context to the psalm, and I want to go ahead and go straight to the the difficult negative part uh, of David, and I want us to look at, at verse 19. There's a context to this psalm, and the context is uh, that David is dealing with the w- ongoing wickedness of other nations who absolutely defy the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is called an imprecatory uh, type of prayer where David is actively praying for God to slay uh, his enemies and that he hates those who hate God. And so there's always some questions around that. We're not going to spend our time in uh, discussing the imprecatory prayers of Psalms this morning. Uh, But what what I do want you to see is the context um, that David is dealing with, with opposition but the rest of the psalm doesn't feel that way. You, you collide with verse 19 about, Lord, slay the wicked uh, and those who are opposed to you. Um, and that, that gives you an idea of how David, in the midst of that type of environment, is actually leaning on what he knows about God and who God is and who God's promised to be to us as his people and David, uh, as the king of Israel, is, is saying as the king of Israel what he says in verse 19 um, through 22. So that, that is a unique context, and we, we could talk about that another day, but I just want you to see for our purposes this morning that David is saying what he's saying in the presence of enemies and in the presence of sin and in the presence of people who are opposed to God. So for us and extrapolating that into our life, uh, we are constantly faced with the enemy of our soul, the devil. We're constantly faced with the temptations of sin. And we're, we're increasingly and constantly faced with a hostile world towards Christianity and towards uh, living righteously before God according to God's Word. So that, that is the, the, some of the context of our own lives that we can see in verses 19 through 22. And I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I just wanted to bring that up at the front so we can go back into these verses for the encouragement of all of us living in the world we're living in and feeling perhaps hopeless, despondent, feeling lethargic, feeling like, why do I even try? Why should I even attempt in my relationship with God, um, I used to have good feelings and now I don't. Or I thought God had a plan for me and now it doesn't seem like He does. Everything seems to be in limbo. 
everything seems to be untethered. Uh, when we have changes in our life and in the culture around us, it feels like we are untethered from a reality that we thought we knew. Our feet used to feel like they were on solid ground, and now you, you're just totally unsure. If that's the way you're feeling, listen to what David says. Let's go back to verse 1, and he says, Lord, you have searched me, you have known me, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you've searched out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. David is trying to get across the idea that it doesn't matter what he does, and it doesn't matter what he thinks, God knows him. And that is really something we may take for granted in our thinking, that God knows us. We spend an awful lot of time in self-reflection that other people don't understand us. And I'm misunderstood. And if you only understood that how I feel or what's happened to me in the past, this is why I do what I do. We spend a lot of time in our culture doing that. And that is not something that you can do with God. David is telling us, and his word is telling us, God knows us. The book of Hebrews tells us that his word is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to separate soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's, there's an echo in Hebrews of, of what is being said here where he says that God discerns his own thoughts from afar. God knows every thought, every emotion. He knows every source of every thought. He knows the context of every single thing you feel always. And it's incredible to step back and say, God knows me in a way that I don't even know my own self. And I believe that is the, the vibe, that is the feel of what David is trying to get across. And he is saying this as a, as a declaration of praise of who God is. Even Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. This is an image of a loving father who is not only aware of his son or his daughter and aware of their failings and their successes and their strengths and their weaknesses, their thoughts, their everything, they're sitting and they're rising up he is there hemming in, protecting. He is there with us, and his hand is on us. And David's reaction to that is, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The idea that a God that knows me and all of my thoughts and is also with me and loving me with his hand on me, and I, and I picture that as his hand around me, around my shoulder, uh, taking me in in comfort, that type of thought, too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain it. And that, that is something, if we just stop right here, I encourage you to stop and think about this. Frequently the psalm will have a little word that says S-E-L-A-H, selah. It's, it's Hebrew, it's a phrase that means stop, think about that. And there is not a law here, but I'm going to insert one and say, stop and think about that God knows you 
your good and your bad, and he's right there with you, loving you. Not excusing you and winking at your bad. That's not what I'm suggesting. But he's there as redemption. He's there as wisdom. He's there as sanctification. He is growing us by the power of his spirit closer to the image of his son. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son according to Romans 8, and that is what God is doing. This is not an, this is not some, when we talk about grace and love, we're not saying that God is uh, pretending that he doesn't have a righteous standard. What, what we are saying is, is that his righteous standard cannot be met by you, so he comes and puts his arm around you to help you get where he commands you to go. You are not alone. He's with you. And I love David's uh, phrase here, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I, I can't even wrap my head around it. That's my paraphrase of what he's saying. He goes on in verses uh, 7 through 12 to describe that there is nowhere to go anywhere, physical or metaphysical, there is nowhere to go to escape God. God is, theologically speaking, omnipresent. He is everywhere. There is no escape from God. And this is a wonderful thing when we are His child and know that there is nowhere you can go, there's no place you can go that outruns God. You just can't get away from Him. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down and make my bed in the grave, that's Sheol. If, I, if, if that's where I go, that's where you are. Literally into the depths of hell. You, God is, you can't escape from God's presence. If I take the wings of the morning and go to the uttermost parts of the sea, your hand shall lead me. Now that's important that that language is being introduced here. Your hand is leading me, no matter where that I go. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day. Darkness is as light with you. The language here is, up or down, left or right, near or far, God is with you, He is there. Now, verses 13 through 15, I want us to, um, actually through verse 16, I want to really take a look at these. It has a cultural application for us uh, in the world that we live in, but it, it also is very intimate and personal for every single person. L listen to what it says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. There are no mistakes, period. We are formed by God and knit together in the womb of our mother. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Culturally speaking, we are 100% opposed to abortion because it is the murder of a life that God is forming in the inward parts of the body 
of the womb. And this psalm speaks to that reality. That God is the author of all life. And there is no right for anybody to take it. Period. You cannot take a life. Period. It is murder to to abort a child in the womb who is being formed by God. There will be judgment for that. And David is saying here, in a very personal and intimate way for us, that God has a purpose in the forming, in the knitting of our lives in the womb. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That's a metaphor for the womb uh, because David's writing poetry. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. Listen to this. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. David is saying that while I was in the womb, there were already books written, or there was a book, God's book, and everything God has planned for my life has already, every work that He has for me to do, every purpose that He has for me is already written down, and that was before you were ever born. That This is not the only place in Scripture that this sort of thing uh, is said in Ephesians chapter two, another famous verse, verse uh, starting with verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, handmade is is that the the root of that word workmanship, something that is made by hand, exactly like what David is saying here in Psalm one thirty nine. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared works in advance for us to do and David's saying that that preparation was done in the mind of God for our lives before we were ever born. God has purpose for us. The purpose is to glorify Him. Something really important for us to know. The language of this psalm, if you notice it all, even though it's about, David's even saying, I've been fearfully and wonderfully made, which is a statement about himself. But even in that statement, he is pushing everything up to God. God's the one who made me. God's the one who established this book of stuff I'm supposed to do. And he did it before the foundation of the world. Paul echoes that statement in Ephesians chapter 2 that were created in Christ Jesus. The, own, the, the very workmanship of God created to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has in advance prepared for us the things we're supposed to do and He is leading us into those things. That is what David is saying. So, so even though it's talking about our purpose... It's talking about it in such a way that your purpose is shown to be what God has designed 
for you to do, and it's not ever about you, other than you being a reflector back to God of His glory. That is what the message, a lot of the message of Scripture is, is that we are the recipients of God's salvation, but He is the recipient of all praise and glory. In fact, back in Ephesians, where we, uh, I was just there, in Ephesians 1 it says that we were saved and it was to the praise of the glory of His grace. Everything about what happens to us in Christ and everything that we do led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, everything that we do is for His glory. And it's for His fame, it's for, it's for His sake, it's to show how great God is. And this whole psalm is about the greatness of God and His nearness and His presence with us, but, it, but you get the impression that it's not, just, it's not about me, it is about Him, but in it, being about Him, I'm swallowed up in to who He is because He has specific purposes as He intricately made me in my mother's womb that I should do the things that He's called me to do. If you're at home and you're saying, I don't know what those things are. Well, you're a part of a very large club of Christians who are constantly wondering what they're supposed to do. And the best advice that I've ever heard in my life is out of Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. Start living for God as if these verses are true. And trust that He formed you, He created you for good works, He's got stuff for you to do. Make decisions with prayer, make choices with prayer, and do and act for the kingdom of God. Submit it to Him. Live for Him. Don't hold back. Look at these verses and say, wonderful are your works. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul does know this is true. I believe it. That is faith that says, I believe these words are true, so I will take risks for the kingdom of God. I will do things. I will give money away. I will give time away. I will serve. I will make myself less. I will make others more important. I will do whatever I can in small ways and in big ways, whatever they are, and I'm going to trust that God is going to lead me. That is what I believe Christians should be doing, and I believe that is what we should be doing when we read these words and say, God made me for a purpose. I don't need to wait for some angel to walk into my bedroom and tell me what that purpose is. I don't know if you've noticed, that's not happening. That's not happening. Or I'm waiting for some special feeling in my chest or in my mind. Or I know God's talking to me because I felt a tingle in my right toe. You, you've got to abandon that kind of thinking and say, wait, David is out here just simply saying, this is the way God has done it. He's made me for a purpose, and I am going to live for Him, and that purpose is going to be unfolded as I live and make decisions and make choices for His kingdom. And listen, you're going to mess up along the way. That's part of God walking with us, because a lot of the great things that happen in the kingdom of God happen through the brokenness of people. 
So, so don't wait for some perfect moment. Don't wait for some perfect level of finances. Don't wait for some perfect angel to come walking in to give you the perfect answer. Start acting for God and He will lead you. Praise the Lord. There's nobody in here to say amen. And uh, Seth's got earphones on, so he just said amen for those of you who couldn't hear. Just, just go. Just do. Just act. Quit waiting. I say it to my own self. We, we, get, we get really guilty of waiting for some special revelation. Um, you know what I see in the Scripture is the book of Acts, they didn't wait around for special revelation. They got special revelation while they were doing stuff. Like the Macedonian call, I believe it's Acts chapter 16. This isn't part of what I was going to say, but they were on their way to another part of the world in Asia, uh, and, and they were instructed not to go that way. They were instructed to go another way. They were instructed through a vision. I'm not saying that God doesn't use visions and dreams. I believe that He does. We shared a vision that a church member had uh, last Sunday. We believe that God has an ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit, but what we are saying is, don't sit around waiting for some special thing to happen before you feel released to go do something. Go do something for the kingdom of God. Go work. Go act. You're not going to mess it up by serving the homeless at the city mission. You're not going to mess it up by giving extra money to OCC. You're not going to mess it up by sharing the gospel to your coworker. You're not going to mess it up. You're not going to mess it up. Go and do and let that build towards something for the kingdom. We don't know where it takes us. We trust that God wrote this stuff down before you were born, while He was forming you in the womb. Okay. Praise the Lord. was not expecting that to be a part of this morning's Psalm 139. Verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. David gets to this right before he goes into the imprecatory prayer where he goes in and prays for people to die. Before he gets into that context that we began with, he's saying that the fact that God has these thoughts towards us, it is precious, it is, it is unbelievable how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, I am still with you. Church, God is with us. The reason that we can go and do and act boldly for the kingdom is because He's with us. We may lose things. We may lose friends. We may lose jobs along the way. I don't know. I don't know what we may lose. But what we gain in serving Him and knowing Him and, and working for the kingdom of God is, is this sense and this knowing God's with us all the time. We're living for His glory. The gain is Christ, not things here. So we've already read verses 19 through 22, and, and that is that comes at this context just to let us know where he's at. And verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, 
and lead me in the way everlasting. David, even though he says that God has formed him and written down the works that are to be done in his life, every one of them, the days that were formed for him, the days and what's going to happen in those days. So it's not just the works that you do, it's also the, the things that are happening that are beyond your control. All of that stuff written down by God. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is in charge of our lives. And yet David is still saying things like, Lord, search me, know me, if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. When I say that God's got a plan and nothing's going to stop that plan and He's prepared works in advance, that is not fatalism. That is not saying that we are robots. When you hear that, what you're hearing is a human reaction to the idea that God is in charge. And that reaction is, no, He's not, I am. The reaction is human. But Scripture shows us that both things are are simultaneously true. You must act, you must choose, you must decide to go and to work. And then you find out that God wrote those things down. Now, if you're asking me to explain exactly how that works, I'm not sure that I can do so. Uh, in fact, I know that I can't. And it's a great theological question. All I know is, and I'm, I'm declaring what I believe Scripture declares is that God is sovereign and He's in charge and simultaneously you must act, you must pray, you must wake up tomorrow morning and choose to walk and serve Him. Simultaneously, your day tomorrow is planned in God's plan and yet your choices are important and a part of that plan. You are not off the hook in some fatalistic system. You are acting. You are choosing. You are working, but you're doing it resting in the knowledge that God is ultimately in charge. This does not cause you or me to say, well, if God's in charge, I'll do whatever I like. Instead, it causes us, when we zero in on the message of Scripture, to serve Him with all of our heart and trust that God is going to get us where we are supposed to go. If you hear those words that God's in charge and say, well, then I can sin and I can do whatever I want, you need to read Romans chapter 6, verses 1. You need to read uh, the places where the Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. The reaction to God's goodness and God's sovereignty from mankind is always in the negative. Always. Mankind always wants to say, well then, if there's all this grace, then I'll just sin. Or if God is in charge, then why is He judging me for my choices? This is a foolish way to talk. Because God commands us to act and God assures us in this psalm that He's with us while we do so and tells us that He formed us and formed us for good works and our days are in His hands and He's with us as we do what He's called us and in advance prepared us to do. The encouragement this morning is God isn't going to leave you God is with you, and He's got tomorrow in His hands. Trust the King of the universe who holds your future days in His hands. So serve Him with all your might and rest in Him 
knowing that this is true. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for Your Word. I pray that it's been a blessing. I pray that it helps. God, there's subjects in here and Your sovereignty and our will and our choices, God, that, that make, make us uncomfortable. But God, I, I see in Your Word where You say both things and that You are with us and You are helping us. God, help us to understand. But Lord, help us to act. Give us courage and boldness. God, don't let us be fence-sitters saying, well, until I have this figured out, I can't act. Lord, teach us to act. Show us where and how to love. Lord, whether it's simple or whether it's profound, whether it's a small decision that leads to more like decisions or whether it's a gigantic decision and somebody listening may be choosing to leave the country and become a missionary for you or leave their job and go to seminary and become a pastor or whatever whatever it is. I, do, I don't know what it is. Lord, we thank you that you're helping us. Our days and our times, according to Proverbs 16, they're in your hands. Lord, we rest in that knowledge that our life is wrapped up in yours and you are leading us day by day. God, we thank you. We give you praise today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.